Hey, hey, welcome back everyone to another episode of the Josh Carr Show. Today, we will be talking about some pretty crazy news that came out about the IRS whistleblowers in connection with the Biden, the Hunter Biden specifically investigation. But it goes into the other Biden family as well. I'm going to be talking about the hearing that he had with the House Oversight Committee, as well as I'll be launching a new segment at the end of the show that has to do with mean comments that I've been getting on my channel. With a little bit more viewership comes some mean comments. I'm excited to talk about those and and it's going to get me into another of my uh, kind of things that I'm passionate about after. So stay tuned for that. Getting right into the IRS whistleblower today. So the House Oversight Committee heard from two IRS whistleblowers named Ziegler and Shapley who are purported whistleblowers for the Hunter Biden case. Now, really quick, before I talk about what they talk about in this case, Ziegler has been in the IRS for about 13 years and Shapley has been in the IRS for 14 years. I'm just, I just want to set the stage for what, who these men are, what are their biases, because I think that's important and it's good to consider when thinking about what happened in this case. So anyway, they have about they have 13 years and 14 years of experience. They've been in the IRS for a long time through a few presidents. Um, Ziegler specifically spoke to this because he kind of assumed that as he comes out and talks about the Hunter Biden case, people would assume that he had some connection to Republicans or a conservative group. Just to give everyone a little bit of context, Ziegler is a Democrat and has voted Democrat and is, uh, is he's gay. And he's openly talked about how he, for the most part, votes Democrat. He did say that in 2020, he didn't vote. But I thought it was interesting in this oversight in, in, in this uh, in the House Oversight Committee in this hearing that he felt like he had to preface it saying that we've gotten so polarized nowadays and I, I don't, there's nothing wrong with looking at biases, but we've gotten so polarized today that people immediately just like jump to, oh, because you're speaking out against these people, you must be on the other side. And I think what Ziegler was trying to do with coming out and just saying openly that he was a Democrat is he's essentially trying to totally dispel that and discredit that critique that could come up. But I think it points to a larger issue as well that we always assume that it has to be the left attacking the right or the right attacking the left. Whereas in this case, and as I'll talk to at the end of this podcast, I believe Ziegler and Shapley came out rather virtuously. And it actually shows a lot of deep maturity and heroism from them because they are people on the left attacking what they see as an injustice on the left. So kudos to them as we talk about it today. Keep those things in mind. And I'm sure as time goes on, we'll figure out more things about them. They've talked about how because of their what they're doing with whistleblowing right now, they're at a great, um, they, have, they have a lot of risk to their job and they may be out of a job. And so that's really why I point to their heroism with this story. Because anyone who's willing to come out against the liberal elite is going to receive huge amounts of backlash. If they're in the government, they'll probably lose their job and they may have a really hard time finding another job. At least I I assume obviously they were government workers, but being in the IRS for 13, 14 years as higher up uh, investigators, I assume it was a fairly lucrative job for them. Uh, Shapley is the one. So so it was Ziegler. He's the one that we're going to focus on for most of this, but Shapley was the other one. And really quick, I want to quote Shapley just to get us started off on what happened in this investigation. They were the two that were in charge. They were among others, but they were 
mostly in charge of the Hunter Biden investigations into his tax evasion. So this is all according to an article posted by CNN. The reason why I'm going off of CNN is because I wanted to get a liberal take of this. And so everything I'm going to be quoting today will be from CNN. Uh, this is a quote, though, directly from Shapley. He says, quote, when the subject's father is somehow related to the finances of the subject in the normal course of an investigation, we would have to get that information to properly vet the financial flows of money and determine what we end up charging. So essentially what he's saying is for anyone, anyone, not just in politics, whether they're a public figure, a public official, or just a normal citizen, if they are looking into someone's financials and they're connected in any way with their father, they're going to have to delve into their father's finances. Makes a lot of sense, right? Like if, the finance, like if they're really trying to do an in-depth sort of investigation, they're going to have to go through the father because there is a lot of evidence that Joe and Hunter Biden had business dealings with each other, especially in connection to Ukraine. However, what Shapley is saying, he, he says after this, adding that his team was blocked from running down leads related to the president. This is where things get really dicey. The reason why Shapley and Ziegler have come out is they've said that anytime they got close to Joe Biden, the DOJ and their higher ups at the IRS told them that they could not touch those things. Essentially, the Justice Department limited their investigation to just Hunter Biden, which what Shapley's saying here is not common practice. This is not what they do for anyone else, which again, very ironic because here's what we are hearing from the left especially in connection with investigations into Donald Trump. What you're hearing is, hey, the rule of law stands. You should treat everyone completely equally. Now, I'm not saying liberals are opposed to what Ziegler and Chapler are saying, but there are a lot of liberal and Democrat elites that are smearing Ziegler and Shapley, but praising Donald Trump's indictment and his investigations. And I find that really hypocritical considering they, Ziegler and Shapley were not able to treat this case in the same way because of the fact that Hunter Biden is the son of an acting U.S. president. According to CNN, they said Ziegler, who is Shapley's deputy, also told the panel in his written testimony that he wanted to interview Hunter Biden's adult children after uncovering potentially illegal deductions in Hunter Biden's tax returns related to payments to his children. But a Justice Department prosecutor said that would, quote, get us into hot water. And it didn't happen. This is this is the part where it gets really freaky and people talk about the date, the deep state a lot. And this is where I pause. I'm not much. I really try not to get into conspiracy theories because they're really fascinating and they can suck you in. But this is where the deep state really starts to sound intense and very real. The fact that they said it would get us into hot water. What does that mean? Are they talking about hot water from the public, from the media? Are they talking about from like business elite? Are they talking about donors? Are they talking about the Biden family, the like the administration, that they'll lose their jobs because they're under the executive branch? It's really unclear, but it's really scary the fact that the Justice Department prosecutor is saying, because of the fact that this will get us into hot water, because of the fact that this is controversial and is kind of dicey, we're not doing it. That is not how the rule of law works. That is not how the DOJ is supposed to work. This is why you hear a lot of people saying, we just need to kill the DOJ. You're hearing Vivek Ramaswamy, one of the presidential candidates, and Ron DeSantis saying, we need to like get rid of some of these agencies. The FBI is one under question. 
And a lot of people pause and they're like, that's kind of extreme. But when you hear stuff like this, it makes you pause for a second and think, maybe we do need to clean house and just totally start from scratch when we have DOJ prosecutors saying that, hey, if we get into the Biden family, that's going to get us into hot water, so we shouldn't do it. So Shapley, again, I want to give credit where credit is due. Shapley is one of the whistleblowers. Ziegler is the other one. Ziegler was previously anonymous. And this is where the hero, I, I think the heroism comes out. He was previously, previously anonymous, but very recently when it came to this hearing with the House Oversight Committee, came out in the open because he felt like he needed to in order to give validity to his story, which is true. Anon I mean, if you look at history and the prominent whistleblowers we've had, an anonymity is really not powerful. It's not really a powerful force in whistleblowing. Putting your name on the line, however difficult it might be, is what really gives power to people. This is where, the, and the reason, so going back to CNN, this is where the media comes in. This is why I read the story from, from CNN. I didn't read anything specifically from the CNN article because I was just trying to get to the meat. That was basically what I read to you was all I could read to you from CNN while actually giving you meat because the rest of it was just hyperbole and propaganda. But what we see is when a whistleblower is saying something about the left, that they are immediately bad. So Ziegler, Shapley, totally evil. Even though they happen to be Democrats and are liberal, they're totally evil. Okay, They have bad, they have holes in their stories. They are against, not only are they bad, but they are against democracy. They are a threat to democracy. And somehow they're colluding with Republicans in the House Oversight Committee to get Joe Biden impeached. That's the story, right? That's how it goes every time when there's someone, it's, it doesn't matter if they're left or right, but if they're attacking someone on the left, that is how the whistleblower is portrayed. But when a whistleblower are criticizing the right, they are champions of democracy. Suddenly, it's as if, it is as if a savior has come to show the deep inner workings of the deep state on the conservative side when there's a whistleblower. We saw this, just one clear example is when, we, when the clerk came out and leaked the Dobbs decision, the overturning of Roe v. Wade. What happened? They came out in anonymity. No one really investigated it in any meaningful way, but even those anonymous who did it, the left praised them for all the good work they did. It resulted in violence and a lot of protesting from the left as they anticipated the overturning of Roe v. Wade. It actually led to a terrorist trying to kill Justice Kavanaugh. It led to people going to their homes. Like it actually had real consequences, real violent consequences. And yet those people are championed as these democratic figures who have done the unthinkable by coming out. And, and here's the deal. When it, when it comes to uh, the justice, when it comes to the judiciary, I have no sympathy for whistleblowers. They absolutely should not be doing that. Why? Because those people are not elected officials. Those are appointed officials. I think there's a totally different ballgame there. When it comes to unethical behavior, I think there's something to be said about that. But when something's going to be released already, like in the in in the case of the overturning of Roe v. Wade, super unethical and evil to come out uh, before they've they're able to release a statement with it. Now, when it comes to Congress or the executive branch, I think whistleblowers are fair game. I think always I, I, the more the better, really. I mean, the more we can hold our elected officials uh, accountable, especially the executive branch, where 
it's really thick and there's a lot of bureaucracy. The more we could do that, the better. Super big fan of that. But I'm sick and tired of seeing the left demonize people when it happens to them on the left. They should apply it equally. We see as well that intersectionality is really just a hammer for the other side. This is something I'm going to talk about a little bit later in the podcast as well. But intersectionality is this idea that there are basically immutable characteristics, right? There are things that you are born with, you can't change them. And because of that, you have an inherent value. If you're black, you there's kind of this intersectional coalition of, hey, because I'm black, I'm just a little bit better than a Hispanic. And because I'm Hispanic, I'm a little bit better than a white guy. But the reason why it's intersectional is because if you happen to be black and a lesbian and a woman, then you are better than, say, a black straight man. And so there's this hierarchy, right? And this fits neatly into the doctrine of wokeism as well. But what we see from the left is that that only applies if you're attacking the right. They actually don't care about that at all. And the example here is with Ziegler. Ziegler is a gay Democrat. He's openly gay, but his intersectionality is suddenly not valid anymore because of the fact that he's criticizing the Biden DOJ. And I think that's really glaring. This is where this moral relativistic philosophy that underlines Marxist progressive America is coming in really clearly that they, they seemingly have these principles that they live by, wokeism, intersectionality, but it's rules for me, but not for thee. That's what it is. If I'm attacking you and you're on the right, and I'm a black lesbian lady, fair game. In fact, I'm way stronger than you now. But if it the roles are reversed and it's a black lesbian lady attacking a Democrat, even if it's a white male who's straight, her blackness, her homosexuality, does not matter anymore. It only applies if you're on the left. All right, guys, now moving on to the next section of today's podcast, I'm really excited to introduce you to a new segment that I'm going to do about once a month, which is mean comments. Okay, I hope you liked that little plane there. I tried to make it look like lovely and and happy because mean comments are a good thing, guys. One thing that I'm passionate about is starting dialogue in my work, in my political commentary. I want people talking about these issues. And with that are going to come skeptics and people who are really angry. Well, this week, our mean comment award goes to Diego, who posted this. I'm going to put it up on the screen right now. And for those of you who are just listening out, let me read for you what he said. He said, long story short, I'm really tired of seeing privileged people make such boring and bland content that is homophobic, misogynistic, and ignorant exclamation mark. We don't need another white man giving his opinion on matters that don't involve him. Another exclamation mark. So let me tell you the the story of how this happened. So basically, this is in response to a video that I made about Sound of Freedom. I made it simply praising Tim Ballard, the great work that he had done with Operation Underground Railroad. Really short and simple. So it was a longer clip here on YouTube. But over on Instagram, it was, you know, 40 seconds, because that's all Instagram can handle. Um, he then went into my DMs and proceeded to attack Tim Ballard and Operation Underground Railroad. So I asked him if he wanted to continue a dialogue with me, potentially come on the show. And he proceeded to post our conversation that was private on his story, which was fine. It was a total, I, there's nothing I would ever say to anyone that I wouldn't want to be out in the open like that anyway. Uh, so this was kind of the final post, the thing I just put up on the screen and 
this is the problem. And then this is what I'm going to critique. First off, I love getting those mean comments, so I'm totally fine with it. But it really shows a problem in progressive ideology today that stems ultimately from racism. They are racist, and, th and there's no other way to say it. And I don't like just like throwing that word out because that's what people on the left do. But this truly is racism. They view race as a class system where the hue of your skin determines the importance of your opinion. The hue of your skin determines the importance of your opinion. That's easy to see. Like that's, I mean, anyone could see left or right is going to be able to tell. Yeah, they, they basically completely invalidate you if you happen to have white skin, which really points to me that they have super weak beliefs and they're very insecure about the underlying ideologies that they believe in. Otherwise, why would they attack something that you have no control over? Their ideas really should stand and shouldn't have anything to do with how your skin color looks. There's a belief that if there's not a direct tie to you in an issue, you cannot speak to it. That was one thing he said to me. In one of the, the comments, Diego said that because me and another guy were talking about abortion, like why would we even consider doing that? That has nothing to do with us. First off, I would argue it does because you know, my children matter to me. And if my children are aborted, they're going to not exist. So, um, but the problem with the belief that there's not a direct, if there's not a direct tie to you, then you cannot speak to it is that it's done in hypocrisy as they're like, this group does not actually believe that because I'll just give you one example. For instance, people on the left are the most atheistic group that mankind has ever known. The progress, like the, the new progressive movement that is going on on the left is the most most atheistic group that has ever existed, and they're constantly trying to regulate religion. One could easily argue, you're not a member of the religion, or any religion, what right do you have to regulate religion? That's just one example. The question I leveled at him was, can I not care about black rights? I, I'm not black. Like, if, if the black vote was taken away today, for instance, would it directly affect me? No, I would still keep my right to vote. But because I'm not black, does that not mean that I can fight for their right to vote? What would have happened throughout history had we not cared about other people's problems? That, that is what I think about. Again, there's this thing on the left, and it's very ironic. Progressives think about history as transgressive. If you talk to a progressive about history about what's gone on in the slave trade, in, in so many different things. They'll talk about all the sins of our generation's past. A conservative, ironically, looks at history as progressive. We look at what has happened, the great improvements we've made, the atrocities that happened, and how we sought to repent for them. What would have happened throughout history if we had always thought of ourselves as transgressive instead of progressive. If white men, for instance, hadn't fought the Civil War in the 1800s, black men would still be enslaved. That's just the reality. There were not enough black slaves that were rebelling against their slave masters to effectuate, effectuate the Civil War. The vast majority of people who died in that war were white men, fighting for many different reasons, not just for the emancipation of slaves, but that was one reason why. And no historian can dispute the idea that if white men were not involved in that, Abraham Lincoln being the chief one who literally signed 
the Emancipation Proclamation as a white man. If white men hadn't been involved in that, black men could still, men and women might still be enslaved today. If black men, for instance, hadn't fought in the revolution, we may have not had American independence at that time. Many black men fought in the revolution, some of them as slaves, some of them as free men. Those men, despite not even fighting so that they could have a vote at the time, still fought so that America could be free. If white men hadn't voted for women's suffrage, would they be able to vote today? No. It took a lot of white men to vote for women's suffrage in order for them to be put into to office. I, I live in Utah. Utah was the second state ever to grant women's suffrage. I know a lot about the history of it. Tons of really famous and amazing women leaders who carried that. But let me say, tons of white men in Utah. Everyone knows. Tons of white men in Utah who made that happen. Did it have anything to do with them? No. But they saw a need in the world and they wanted to fix it. They took responsibility for their brother or their sister in this case. They loved them and they did what was right. It didn't have anything to do with them specifically, but it doesn't matter. They took responsibility for it regardless. I mean, that that is one of the first lessons we learn from the Bible after all. Cain kills Abel and God goes to him and says, where is your brother? And he says, am I my brother's keeper? And that was one of the greatest first sins, was him not taking responsibility for his brother. Had he just said, I'm taking responsibility for my brother, he, well, he wouldn't have killed him and he, and he wouldn't have been guilty of that sin. So we are our brother's keeper. It doesn't matter the skin color. I don't care if you're transgender, you're homosexual, you're non-bi. I don't care like what letter you identify as. We all have the responsibility to help each other out. Dividing ourselves by something that we did not choose does not make any sense. What does make sense and what does make you valuable are the things that you can control. How hard you work, how well you raise your family, how well you rise above your trials, how much you contribute to society and to your local community. Anyone can do this. It doesn't matter if you're black, if you're Hispanic. It does not matter your race. It doesn't matter your gender. Anyone can do this. And this makes you someone of value. It makes your opinion valuable. The color of your skin does not make your opinion valuable. It doesn't matter. It, it should not have any binding. It should not have any reason to make your opinion more valid or less valid. I'm going to end on this. I just watched Remember the Titans. Great movie. It's crazy. It, it blew my mind as I was watching it how far we have fallen from that movie. I mean, that was a movie produced not that long ago by Disney. In the movie, the players, so it's two football teams that basically combine in the 70s. And one team is white, one's black. And they go through a little bit of a stretching period where they you know, don't like each other. But in the end, they end up winning the state championship in Virginia. And they come together. So it's a really beautiful story. But what matters most is not that half the team is black and half the team is white. What matters, and this is literally the whole point of the movie, what matters is that they work together and that they're football players. It's not that they're black football players or white football players. It's that they're really good. They're a great team. They make something great together. Others comment, like they, they'll hear from other teams during the movie, like, oh, like you're a mixed team. And they're like, yeah, so what? 
Like that's not what makes them amazing. What makes them amazing is that they work together and love each other. They're one team. And what you see at the end is that the color of their skin throughout the movie becomes less and less important until they win together. And that is the moral of the story is that we win together when our purposes are aligned, when we love each other, and when the skin of like when the color of our skin becomes the least important thing about us. That is the message of my podcast today. That is the end of this segment, mean comments for this month. Thank you so much for watching, everyone. Remember to like and subscribe. Let me know what you thought in the comments down below, as well as check out my stuff on Instagram. If you're over on Apple Podcasts, check out YouTube. Thanks.